Um, this morning's scripture, or the message, comes from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 12. And it's been a while since you've heard this, but if you uh, don't have an NASB, which I'll be reading from, or you don't have a Bible this morning, you can reach down in front of that chair in front of you and grab uh, the Bible that is there, and you may turn to page 87 in the back portion of that in the New Testament and read along with us in the NASB, which now is NASB 1995, if you follow me. Um, All right. That said, uh, as you find page 87, would you please stand for the reading of the, the word? And Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life, this eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have given me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Today's topic, you may be seated, today's topic, limited atonement, we'll have a lot to say about that, but the most overwhelming message that we need is the atonement itself. We have here a nice clean looking cross, didn't look that way after our Savior was born upon it, his scarred back and his throne, his crown of thorns upon his head. And the nails driven through his hands and feet drenched that wooden cross with its blood. Perfect blood, never sinned on your behalf. That's atonement. He atoned for our sins on that cruel cross, willingly in love. And so before I start talking about this topic, let's stop for a minute and just meditate on the atonement what it means to you that he died on your behalf. 
Let's meditate. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of who you are and what you have revealed to us through your Son, the Word of God, and of course the written scriptures that bless us on a daily basis. We learn of you and the wondrous works that you do on our behalf, and we can but bow before you in worship, in praise, in thankfulness. May we have grateful hearts. And may our lives show that gratefulness by the way we live, that of holiness, that of righteousness, that of waiting upon our Savior's return. May we be a bride adorned and holy waiting for our bridegroom, Jesus, who will one day come again. Glory be unto your holy name, O God. Amen. Now, this whole idea of limited atonement, we have to make some uh, characterizations here. You know, the atonement is Christ's propitiation for our sins on Calvary's cross. He paid the penalty. Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your condemnation is gone. The penalty of your sin is gone. There are no limitations to God or his atonement. The word limit in this title is only meant to point to a certain number to be saved by the atonement. It doesn't limit God, doesn't limit his atonement, it limits the number of individuals that God will save by his atonement for us. Get that in your minds when you hear that. Matter of fact, that word limit is basically there out of convenience to fit into the tulip, T-U-L-I-P. Reformers and those of the Reformed faith have typically called it um, particular redemption or definite atonement. Those were the real terms that Reformers taught. Limited fit into the acrostic, and it's also true, God limited the number of people that he would save. Think of limited edition, if you need some help with that term. What is a limited edition? You know, with cars and uh, expensive collectible items. In other words, there are just a few of them made so that the value will remain high. They increase the value. Therefore, think of yourself as limited editions. Because this atonement was for you alone. Christians, those that Christ would save for eternity, you're, you're a limited edition. It's a great thing. Walk proudly. Not the poor kind of proud, but the godly kind of proud. Particular redemption or definite atonement brought about two different kind of Baptists back in the day. You had your particular Baptists and your general Baptists. Particular Baptists stayed firm with the uh, doctrines of grace in the teachings of the Reformers, General Baptists went off into an Armenial uh, type of belief in salvation. Anybody can do it. It's no, no special addition. 
just you're good enough to believe something, eh, God will save you. Now, we're not general Baptists here. We are particular Baptists. This uh, limited atonement is the third topic in the acrostic of the five points of Calvinism, or what we prefer, the doctrines of grace. These doctrines point to the sovereignty of God in salvation. How important is the word sovereignty to you? I've come across people over the many years uh, that think of sovereignty of God as just being, well, he's a king. Oh, he's a king, all right. He's the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But that's not all that sovereignty means. It means that he rules over everything that he has made. He's in charge of everything. You hear of acts of God in the world? Those are his. Those are small little inklings of reminders to sinners that God is sovereign, that he's coming in judgment. Change. Repent. God is sovereign, not just king, sovereign over every aspect of your lives. Note that these points, these five points, were not established until after John Calvin, from which we get the term Calvinism, had been dead for 52 years. He was in heaven's glory, along with our pastor Dave, worshiping. His writings were very influential in the Reformation, and in its development. The preferred name is Reformation Theology. Other names have called it Calvinism because of his writings. But it's not Calvinism, it's Reformed Theology. I hope you can try to remember that. It's important to me anyway. And even the five points, they named it the five points of Calvinism. Well, it's really the five points of the doctrines of grace. That's his true name. These points came about as a result of an opposition movement led by a man named Jacob Arminius, uh, who lived from 1560 to 1609. You history buffs, I had to uh, put that in there for you. In 1610, a year after Jacob's death, his followers published their five points of remonstrance. Remonstrance just means forceful protest. These points were rejected by the Synod of the Canons of Dort in 1618. It took them eight years to, to wrangle over these things and come up with the truth. They were deemed heretical. All these points of Arminianism were deemed her- heresy. I said it. I actually said the word. Heresy. Arminianism is heresy. Okay? Sorry to be so forceful. But talk about remonstrance. Let's counter the remonstrance with the truth. Be forceful with the truth. And uh, at least 200 pastors were put out of the Reformed churches because of their Armenian beliefs, because of this uh, canon of Dort. Okay, and it was followed afterwards by the publishment of the five points of what we call five points of Calvinism. It was after, 10 years after. Note, 1 Corinthians 11.19. 1 Corinthians 11.19 says, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Do I need to say that again? This church, any church, the whole church, 
Factions are a way of life in the church. And they are there because the approved are found to be right. It's important. And these people in the synod found heresy among them and cast it out. And we need to be careful of it too. If you still have some of that heresy in your theology, work hard, get rid of it. These are the truths. These doctrines of grace are the, tr- are the truths. Now, I'm going to take some time out that you may not want to hear, but you're going to hear them. Here's what those Armenians said in their five points of remonstrance. Article 1, and see how counter they are to the five points of Calvinism. Conditional election was their first point. Election being conditional. What did Mark say last week? Unconditional. Armenians say it's conditional. God elects or reproves on the basis of foreseen faith or belief, or unbelief, rather. Uh, No. Second, unlimited atonement. What am I teaching on today? Limited atonement. They said unlimited atonement right out front. Christ died for all men and for every man, although only believers are saved. Ah, okay. Number three, total depravity. Man is so depraved that divine grace is necessary unto faith for, or any good deed. That wasn't too bad. It wasn't enough. They, they believed that man had the ability of their own free will to just be good enough to say yes to Jesus. It's not true. That's not total depravity at all. If you have a question about it, ask Amos. <laughs> He'll tell you what the depra- <laughs> total depravity is because he preached greatly on that, as Mark did on uh, the election. Four, prevenient grace. Prevenient grace, they taught. This grace may be resisted, free will to reject it. Pastor Joe will deal with that next week. Counter that in his sermon. Number five, conditional preservation of the saints. Now, Steve will be preaching on the preservation of the saints, not conditional. Conditional preservation. Meaning, whether all who are truly regenerate will certainly persevere in the faith is a point which needs further investigation. Ah, Later on, they just came right out with it and said that uh, it was altered to teach the possibility of losing your faith or losing your salvation. Of course, some Armenians didn't hold to that. They just held with a, we need more investigation. If the Lord saves you truly, there is no going away. You are preserved because God is sovereign in salvation. If you remember anything about the doctrines of grace, remember that God is sovereign in salvation as well as sovereign in everything in life. Let's move on to limited atonement. Or particular redemption or definite atonement. Particular because he picks particular people that he put in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Before there was anything made, he wrote down the Lamb's book of life and put your name in it. At some point in your life, you will be saved. Hey, Skip, you got saved late in life. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. You may not have known it, but you know it now. Right? That's right. 
He doesn't like to be pointed out, just like Moses doesn't like to be pointed out either. I'll try to fit you in somewhere, Moses. If not, know that you were thought of. John 17, 1 through 9. I won't read it again because Steve did an excellent job of reading 1 through 12, but I made some underlines throughout that scripture, and I hope you have it opened. I don't think it's, yeah, I didn't uh, do it ahead to have them put up here. But it says that you have given him. In other words, God gave to Christ certain people. He manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. When you were born, you were born sinners in a sinful world. But God gave you to Christ to save you. And he says towards the end of that prayer that he asks on our behalf. There meaning us, Christians. He asks on our behalf. He does not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. You are special. You're a special addition. You were thought of before the world was even created. And so your atonement is fixed. It glorifies you. Because Christ does it. I hope that that reading was very special to you from John 17. Our Savior praying. Matter of fact, this is actually the actual Lord's Prayer. What people call the Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer. They were asking to learn how to pray, and Jesus taught them a way to pray. This one, he's actually praying, and he's praying about atonement, your limited, particular, definite atonement. You're special. Now, I'm going to go through a list of verses that talk about this. And the temptation for me, I'm a verse-by-verse guy. Normally, when I come up here to teach... I go from the beginning, ding, 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 right on to the end. I actually got uh, not scolded, but teased about that a few times in the past when I preached here. I don't make any uh, apology for it. It's the way I like to teach. It's the way I like to hear it taught. Spend a little time on one verse and spend a lot of time on another, but spend time on all of them. Matter of fact, a little story from one of the Roth boys, told me one time, went to school, heard a sermon at the school, Christian school, and they were talking, and they got to the points of election, doctrines of grace within the scriptures that clearly teach it, and they skipped to some verses later on. Yeah, your husband, Tara. (laughs) Skipped them, didn't even talk about them, and went on with whatever they wanted to teach. You cannot ignore the principles of God in the word. And so we won't today. We're going to talk about the ones that others in the Armenian persuasion skip. John 13.1. If you're fast enough, you can flip to your NASB Bibles that you pulled out from under your seats. Of course, ESV is okay, Mark. Don't don't feel bad. It's, It's good. But I'm a, you know, first year of my Christian faith, I had the King James Bible. Joe will love that. That's his. 
But in 1973, they came out with the new American standard. And I bought one, fell in love, put my King James up on the shelf, said that's a valuable book, but this one's the one I'm using. And I've been using it ever since. Every new version that comes out, I buy one, or it's given to me usually, and I study it, and I go right back to the NASB. I haven't seen anything superior yet. All right, that being said, rabbit trail number two. Hopefully there won't be too many more. John 13.1, you've had time to get there. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved you who he wrote down in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world to the end, right up to the cross. He went to that cross because of love. Yeah, it was obedience to the Father, but it was love for you that he went to the cross. He loved his own. Not everybody. He loved his own, those that he has chosen. Then we talk about his people. Isaiah 53, 8. Isaiah 53, 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. Yeah, the stroke was due us, wasn't it? But because of the atonement, the stroke went upon Christ at Calvary. And who was it for? My people. Not everyone. My people. Again, talk about people. Matthew one twenty one. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the Israelites thought that meant the Israelites. Now, it meant all those for whom he would call to himself for salvation. He will save his people. Matter of fact, the name Jesus, I forget exactly how the breakdown is. Our theologian over here from seminary might know. <laughs> the, the term Jesus, you know, is from the word um, Yahweh saves or God saves. That's what Jesus really means. God saves. He shall save his people from their sins. What a glorious atonement. Our sins are counted against us no more. You walk free from the penalty of sin. Do you sin? Oh, yeah. Your, your soul's been redeemed. The body stayed the same. Still has all those fleshly desires that we are to mortify. We have to fight to kill sin in our flesh. It's a daily routine. It's a battle that we have to win. Don't just slip back and say, Ah, God, just do it for me. Get rid of this sin in me. No, he wants you to work hard at fighting against sin. Use the sword and slice it. Kill it. Make it dead in your life. That's our work. We can't work for our salvation at all. He did it all. But we certainly can work in sanctification along with the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Amen? Submit to the Holy Spirit. 
Then we talked about the sheep. This one might take a little longer. John 10, verses 11 through 16, and then skip to verse 26. Not that the ones in between aren't good. They just aren't dealing with the sheep as much and time constraint. But I believe them. 17 through 25, I believe them totally. John 10, 11 through 16, and then 26. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Then he says about himself, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, in other words, not of Israel, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Talking about the whole world coming into the salvation. The Israelites thought they had it all. They had a few proselytes, and they would teach them the law and get them to involved in the festivals and in the foods and all those things from out of the Gentile world. That would be faithful. But they treated them as second-class citizens, if you don't know your history. As a matter of fact, that's where water baptism first was performed. The Jews would take these Gentile proselytes and dunk them underwater as a symbol of cleansing them because they're worthless beings. They need an extra special cleansing to be able to come into the circumcision of the Jews. No wonder the leadership of the Jews weren't too happy about John the Baptist and Jesus dunking people in the water. They are dunking Jews. Oh, no, they can't do that. Yeah, he can. He's sovereign. And we, as Baptists, we're called Baptists because we dunk. That is the way that John the Baptist was taught by the Lord, and the Lord Jesus himself baptized, was dunking people underwater. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Wow. Even as Jesus and the Father know each other, they know us. You know what know means in the Word of God? It's relational. You married people, lots of you out there. You know your spouse. You know your children, because you're intimately involved in their lives, and you love them dearly. And that's what is being said here. He loves us as much as the father and son love each other in eternity. That's a lot of love. Again, you're a special addition. And I'll make an extra point about this one flock with one shepherd. There are people out there who, when Jews get saved and come to Christ, they go off into their own church and worship their own style. It's not a part of what the scriptures teach. We're one flock with one shepherd. Jew and Gentile should be worshiping in the same buildings together, unified, worshiping the same way. Sorry, if you think differently, 
I think I'm approved by the scriptures. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> next. Verse 26 says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You're a sheep because before the foundation of the world, Christ wrote your name in his book. Bah, you're a sheep and you follow the master's voice. And his voice called out to you from the world when you're still in your sins. And he drew you out and made you his of his own fold. Again, you're special. John 6, 37 through 39. John 6, 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. See that? God gave you to Christ. He will not only raise you up from your deadness of your sin and into a life in Christ, but he also will raise you from your physical death and raise your body into his glory. Wonderful promises. He gave it. He was given to Christ. The Father gives me will come to me. Now, next week, Joe will be using the same verse, I'm sure. Because this verse also talks about this effectual call. So you'll hear this one again. Matter of fact, a lot of verses have a number of these points blended in together. Even more proof that they are the doctrines of grace. The church. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Here you go, Mark. You're getting preached to again. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. The church was in the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ from the very beginning. Matter of fact, we modern church people, when we look back at the faithful Israelites that followed the law and loved the Lord and stayed with him faithfully, we call them the church, after the fact, because God called them to himself. They are his people, his church. Now, we'll give a little sideline here to husbands. It says to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, we already looked in previous verse about how much love the father and the son have with each other and therefore to the people that they've chosen. How much does that mean you have to love your wife? Quite a bit. That's right. Treasure your wife. They're special. They don't have to be a model. They need to be a model inside. You marry the heart. Now, I got both. I was fortunate. (laughs) Mine had a beautiful soul and a beautiful 
everything else outside. Many beautiful things in that relationship. And of course, I hope that for each and every one of these married people. Yeah, you'll have struggles and trials, but always go back and remember the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father love each other and love you with such a love that he wants you to love one another. It's a major love. And by the Holy Spirit's power, because the Holy Spirit is God in you, you can do it. You can love that woman. You can, that woman can love that husband. Actually, the scriptures teaches her to respect him. It takes love to respect someone. Next, talk about us. And there are a lot of verses on us. I had to edit some of them. I wish I'd have kept them on now because I got another 15 minutes. I could have put them in here. Okay, we'll just go on some extra rabbit trails, right? Now, Galatians. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Wow, what a mouthful. Okay, it's going to take 15 minutes, just just on this one verse. Wow, he redeemed us from the curse. You, you limited edition, were saved, redeemed. You are part of us. He hung on a tree. He took a curse upon himself. Other scriptures talk about how he demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took upon himself our sins. He became sin on our behalf, the words say, on our behalf to save us. It's a terrible thing. That mess up on the cross, that beautiful blood that was shed was not the only thing that's important to us. That perfect one took upon himself every sin that you have ever committed, ever did or ever will commit. And he bore them on his perfect, holy, righteous self. That's the atonement for us. The word us. And again, he accents the fact that the blessing of Abraham would come through the Gentiles. Now, here among us, probably most of us are from the Gentile nation. Once in a while, you'll find a person from the Jewish or Israelite or Hebrew lineage join the church and and be among us. Too often, they separate themselves into their own church, unfortunately. But know that the two have been made one. There's only one people of God. One people of God, made up of both Jews and Gentiles together in unity to the glory of God. We serve God and worship him together as a team. Let's get it together. And we we receive that promise of the Spirit through faith, which, that's another gift, isn't it? Faith is a gift. Rabbit trail, number three or four. 
I was in a church before, and one of my daughters wanted to be baptized. And that church had uh, switched pastors. One retired, another one came in who was fully Armenian. At that time, I wasn't, you know, fully understanding both Calvinist and Armenian. I always had a wrong impression of Calvinism way back then. But I went to that. I wanted to hear what he said to these young people that wanted to be baptized. And he brought up Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. And he says, God's gift to you is grace. Your gift to God is your faith. Ooh, is right. Say it louder. Ooh, that is so wrong. I about came out of my chair. And he and I had some words. Well, at that point, after that, there were a lot of words. Because I became more and more understanding of the Reformed faith and more understanding of what the Armenian teachings were, and I was making a big change. That man did one good thing for me. He told me, you're a Calvinist. I am? Okay, well, I'm going to study what that is, because I've only heard bad things about Calvinists. Well, as I learned, I said, well, I already believe this. I already believe that. Yeah, I guess I am a Calvinist. No wonder. Yeah, that happened to Moses, too. He's pointing to himself. I finally got him in the sermon. Amen, brother. Maybe you're next. I'll try not to. So, next verse. Us, we, us. In the next verse, Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. Of course, I already said it from memory. Sorry. It's part of the sermon. (laughs) Um, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that you're the special edition. Us. He died for you. Not every person. And then gave everyone the right to be smart enough to conjure up some gift of faith to believe the gospel and change. No. He died specifically for those whom he will save and change and glorify one day. Mark 10.45 talks about the many. Of course, I edited from my notes several verses on many. We'll do just one. Suffices. Mark 10.45. Now, I want to ask Roberta if she named her son after this guy that wrote that book. Mark says yes. Okay. Wonderful. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Anyone know what a ransom is? If you ever watch TV, you know what a ransom is. They got movie after movie after movie talking about ransoms. Well, let's talk about the Bible ransom. He gave his life to pay for you. The wretched dead sinner, totally depraved sinner, you were under the power of Satan. Yuck! But that's you were his. You were his. When you're dead in your sins. But not completely, because your name is written somewhere. 
He died to pay a ransom for your debt. An illustration. Everyone knows about bonding people out out of jail. You know, they go to jail for whatever. Good people who like them put together money and they go and they pay money to get them out until a court date, right? It's a type of ransom. Ransom you out of jail. And, you know, we got a number of people who put people in jail and those who keep them in jail. So you know what I'm talking about. How about if somebody goes down and ransoms a person, but they stay in jail? What effect does that ransom have upon that person? No effect. The effect of a ransom is that you're set free. And so when Christ ransoms your sin debt, you are free. You don't stay in a prison. You are Satan's no longer. You're out from under his authority and power. All he can do is tempt. And wow, the Holy Spirit can help you to fight that, can he? The Holy Spirit is much more powerful than an angel, a bad angel. He gave his life a ransom for many. And then he took from every nation. He's got, his name is spread out through every nation on the earth that he created. Not every one of them, but somebody from every nation. And I think Revelation 5.9 was part of our service this, uh, today. Revelation 5.9. Revelation 5.9 says... And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, from everywhere. Once every name on that list is checked off, saved, saved, get down to the bottom name, saved, Guess what happens? This world goes away. And the Lord takes you to be with himself. These bodies, if if you're alive at that time, this body will be changed to be like Jesus' body. If you're in the grave, your body will be resurrected with Christ-like body. What a wonder. From every tongue, every ethnicity, Because he is sovereign. He's sovereign in salvation. He's picked people from every nation that he's created. You know, way back in Babel, you know, people spoke one language. And they started worshiping something other than God because they were high-minded. Woo-hoo. They kept building structure to get way up to heaven. Tower of Babel. What did God do to that pride? Knocked it down. And separated the people throughout the earth with different languages. And let me tell you, those languages, they are extraordinary. There are languages like in Africa where there's clicks in them. And they understand each other. Click, 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 click. What is that? It's amazing creation. Of course, my favorite language on the earth is French. I took French in college, in, not college, oh goodness, no, high school. Took French class because I had to. It's a beautiful language. Oh, 
God created every one of those languages spread throughout the world because he is sovereign over his creation. Every language has its beauty. I just happen to like the French one the best. So what? Other people like other ones. I know most of you here like the Spanish language. Yeah, I know. I didn't take it in high school. I should have because it had been more applicable. More people speak Spanish than they do French. Oh, well. I made a mistake. Sorry. And I'll close by talking about Armenians. It's heresy, okay? Remember, it's heresy. There's no, there's no value to their teachings. They use John 3.16 and 1 John 2.2. 2, like, it's an amazing verse that talks about Calvinism is wrong. But they just don't understand what they mean by world there. By world, they mean what Revelation 5.9 just said here. From the world. From all over the world, he is taking people. Not everybody in the world. Even Armenians are not universalists. They don't believe that everyone gets saved. They believe that some go to hell and some go to heaven. They just got their soteriology, their doctrine of uh, salvation, wrong. You cannot come up with faith on your own. You're dead, right, Amos? Dead on a doornail, spiritually. You can't conjure up faith. It's a gift from God, the sovereign God, to you because your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I had another point that I didn't write down. So, no more rabbit trails. These five points are very important to learn. But they're not a club to use in fighting people. They're for you to be encouraged. For you to be encouraged to grow in Christ. To know the value of the atonement that was given on your behalf. To let you know that you're special in Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're able to fight everything. Grief. Holy Spirit. Pain, Holy Spirit. Persecution, Holy Spirit. Help. There's a long list of enemies in our world. You know, we talk about from the scriptures the, the devil, the flesh, and uh, the world as being enemies. And we, we have to fight them daily. Let's do it because of the sovereignty of God, because of the value of the atonement that he has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessed teachings that sprang forth from the Reformation. Oh God, the church was locked in heresy over so many years. Teachings that were not of the scriptures. And the reformers came forth by the power of the Holy Spirit and changed it. They risked their lives and some did give up their lives to teach the truth of the scriptures, and to put the scriptures into print and into the hands of everyone. Oh, what a glory. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the Reformers' teachings, because they are teachings true from your word. We treasure your word. We treasure the atonement that you have given us as a gift because of who you are. We worship you in spirit and truth. 
because you placed your Holy Spirit in us at salvation to guide us, to teach us, and to comfort us along the way. Oh Lord, may we submit to your Holy Spirit day by day and grow thereby. Make us champions on this earth, victors with Christ. For we love you.